Welcome to Have You Got Your Shit Together with me, Caitlin Orion, a podcast that celebrates not having your shit together. On today's episode, we have Rosie Carney. Rosie is a singer-songwriter who can count Lily James and cigarettes after sex among her followers. Her latest album, I Wanna Feel Happy, explores Rosie's personal mental health struggles against the backdrop of a musical career. I loved chatting to Rosie. She speaks so openly about her journey with mental health and navigating a career as a young female in the music industry. We do touch on topics such as eating disorders and depression, so if this is a trigger for you, then maybe give it a little miss. If you haven't listened to any of Rosie's music yet, you should, because it's absolutely gorgeous. I hope you enjoy the episode. We had a right laugh. Hi Rosie. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh my god, of course, finally. I I've know, made we've, it. we've been made trying it work. to arrange this for a very long time, but mm-hmm. you've been away on tour and I've broke my foot and been in America and all uh, these things. As you so, do. As you do. It's very classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, on a scale of shit to together, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling a, I'd say a four. What would a, a four, four be? I mean, I'm thinking that shit together is a scale of one to ten. Yeah. Is that what right. you're going with? Because oh, if it's a hundred, then we, <laughs> we should be talking to some people. Yeah. But um, like, four, four is less than average. Yeah. 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 I think I've just, um, I'm on a bit of a come down after the gig I just played. Yeah. And it's like, you know. Which was at Union Chapel, you were just Union saying. Union Chapel, yeah. Beautiful and it's venue. always so beautiful. And it's always such a build up and like so much nerves and so mm. much pressure that goes into just 30 minutes of my time. Oh my God, yeah. And then you just kind of get off the stage and you're like, well, that was that. Yeah, <laughs> and then weird, the feeling it? lingers for like the rest of eternity. Yeah. I was listening to a Sam Smith interview that moment after you've done a big show and you go back into the green room and you're on your own and that's like the moment that'll kill you (laughs) it honestly is it's crazy because and touring as well like it's Mm. just it's a really crazy thing for like people to do just like with the adrenaline rush and then the come down afterwards it's like chemically like so crazy and hard on us I mean it's also great like my dad came and it was nice to see him and like my boyfriend was waiting for me in the green room afterwards Mm -hmm. as well so yeah Yeah. it was there are pros but it's also like (laughs) what am I doing yeah of course yeah it's strange mm-hmm. it's strange when you're um kind of your perception of who you are is kind of different to what people see of you mm-hmm. I can imagine when people come in to see you at a gig or something mm-hmm. their idea of who you are and then when you leave that stage and you return to who you are mm-hmm. I always find that quite jarring with acting and stuff like that yeah like if I have a experience when I'm meeting fans or something mm-hmm. that's the thing that fucks my head up a little bit yeah no totally yeah yeah, sometimes, and as well with me, a lot, I get imposter syndrome. Mm. And I, yeah, no, I totally, totally understand that. Yeah. Do you get that even with, like, writing your own stuff? Sometimes, um, yeah. Sometimes I get, I, like, fall down a, a hole of, like, um, writing music that I think just sounds shit. And then everything I come up with just sounds absolutely terrible. Oh my Am I God, allowed yeah. to swear, by the way? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mate, it's called, have you got your shit together? It's literally <laughs> yeah. shit in every... <laughs> Every question. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Say it all. Um, um, but yeah, like I like, I don't know, I focus too much on like the music I listen to and yeah. and how I can make my own sound instead of like it, like allowing it to 
influence me in a healthy way I like become like oh shit all my songs are shit and everything Compare needs to it. yeah I was literally speaking about this last night to my friend about that difference between your idea of who you are and where you want to be and your taste mm-hmm. and the disparity between that and where you feel like you are and sometimes mm-hmm. that gap can just feel really overwhelming because Absolutely. you'll write something and you know, when I write poetry or whatever, I'll write something and then if I step away from it and I come back, I'm just like, that's fucking shit. What oh was my I, God. What yeah. was I doing there? And then you you overthink it and you kind of, I don't know, like a corporate mind that is judging it. Will other people like mm-hmm. it rather than being like, is it serving me anymore? No, absolutely. I experienced that so badly mm-hmm. um, when we first went into lockdown. Yeah. Dreaded lockdown. Yes, yes. <laughs> Trigger warning. <laughs> um, yeah, in 2020, like, as soon as we went into lockdown, like, everyone was just, like, you know, churning out. It seemed to me, yeah, everyone yeah. was just, like, hopping online and, like, still being able to, like, progress in their music and mm. stuff. And I just fell down such a rabbit hole of just making music that I thought would sound like theirs and would appeal to people instead mm. of what music that would, like, you know, is authentic to me. And I remember I was writing, like, Oh, I don't know, like three songs a day and like sending them to my manager. And um, he was just like, why don't you take a break? And I was like, no, I must yeah, keep writing. It needs yeah. to, I need, it needs to sound good. And then I just like, it gave me a whole identity crisis and wow. I ended up like going home to Ireland and I stopped writing for the whole year. Yeah. And that's when I like recorded the Benz by Radiohead. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, I just, I was just completely like, what the fuck am I, what am I doing? Like, sometimes is... you have to kind of go back to be able to take stock again, don't you? No, and completely. That sensation in lockdown of feeling like, well, the world has stopped and now is my time mm-hmm. to, I don't have any commitments. I'm just going to sit here and write my novel. And then every day <laughs> yeah. just being like, well, the fu- I don't have anything to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right? yeah, it's, and feeling like you have, don't have much to contribute and mm-hmm. all of those things. It can be such a mind fuck. Yeah, it was, um. It was very tough. Yeah. But I feel like it was necessary because it, it kind of brought me back to myself as well. Like I wrote all the wrong songs to like kind of figure out how to write again and yeah. do it in a way that felt really more authentic to me mm. and more authentic to anything I've ever written. And that's when I wrote my latest album. It yeah. all came from that. Wow. And they say that about writing, don't they? That like you should, it's a muscle and you should just try and write yeah. a thing a day even if it's shit. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to do that sometimes. Like I'll sit down with like a pen and paper and I'm just like, nothing <laughs> to say. Honestly, like because of that whole like thing that I went through in lockdown, it's given me the fear and I can't like, Yeah, yeah. I have to wait until I feel the inspiration and it comes every like, I would say four or five months, I'll just feel it. And what is it? It's like, it's out of body, isn't it? It's it weird. really is. Yeah. It's almost like, a tingling feeling without sounding cheesy <laughs> no, it's, it's like I can feel it coming. <laughs> it's coming <laughs> shut the windows yeah, light a candle yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah no it's a, it's a really crazy feeling to explain yeah. but I get so excited yeah, yeah, and like but that's that's why we do it isn't it exactly. that's the magic mm-hmm. for sure um Definitely. I always find this a really interesting whenever I have musicians they always kind of ask this question but like when you're approaching music, do you start with the lyrics or do you start with the music first? Because you're a singer-songwriter mm-hmm. and what I love about your songs is the writing, like the poetry oh, is just beautiful. You. Usually it comes after the melody. Right. That's what inspires me. Mm-hmm. I'll like, I'll set up like a little studio space on my bedroom floor mm-hmm. and I'll put my headphones on and I'll put reverb to max because I want to be swimming in sound. <laughs> um, and that's usually like, I don't know, the frequencies of the reverb and sometimes I'll have like a drone going and I'll just like play the guitar over that and that's what inspires me. And once I like 
find some kind of structure within yeah. the melody, that's when the lyrics start to come. God, so many levels to it. Yeah, it's I find it fascinating. <laughs> I think it's just something that because I just I can't like I've tried because I'll write like a poem. I do it that mm-hmm. way, and then I'll get like my four open chords on a guitar and try to fit it, and it just sounds <laughs> trash. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's no. not how they do it. Clearly, I'm going wrong. What does having your shit together mean to you? What does that look like? I think it looks like just like this might be a cheesy answer, but just like genuinely just being happy. Right. I think that's what that would mean. Just mm-hmm. like feeling comfortable within myself and confident with who I am and yeah. um, feeling happy and healthy. That's to yeah. me what having my shit together would be. Content. Yeah. Yeah. I'm none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but also I think it's like, I, I agree. Like that's definitely <clears throat> something that I aim for. But I think more recently I've started to realise that like happiness too is an emotion yeah. and it's not always going to be sustainable. No. So what is left in that space mm-hmm. is like, peace maybe or like I've said this before but like a resilience yeah just like acceptance being able to take because shit is going to happen and it's just being able to feel strong enough to deal with it without Mm -hmm. it all just overloading you no exactly yeah crashing down that's definitely what it I mean obviously obviously as well like being an adult and like yeah paying an electricity bill on time (sighs) paying rent like yeah yeah, yeah. sure that's that's great um, but you can do all of those things and be absolutely <laughs> yeah. crumbling inside. Like, let's not pretend. Oh, rent day is uh, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, okay, so I asked you to think or bring in an object yeah. that makes you feel like you've got your shit together. So what is that? I thought long and hard about mm. this. And so the things that kept coming to mind were my house plants, specifically my peace lily Okay, that I have Somehow, she's she's happy. (laughs) She's driving, very dramatic. Um, But yeah, I've managed to keep her alive for about four years now. Oh my god! And she's start she's starting to flower every summer now. Which I'm also actually she keeps flowering every time I move into a new. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Every time I move into a new place, which has been for the last three summers. Wow. Um, she flowers. Wow. It's like she's like, yeah, you're doing great. Oh, that's so nice. So yeah, that's my that's my object. How many years have you had her? Four. Do you remember getting her? Yes, I did. I think I got her in Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's do good plants. Honestly, that yeah. Calathea that John, that you yeah, got one got too. Yeah, we got at the same yeah. time. Yeah, so um, Rosie <laughs> used to live in Whitechapel. And um, so Rosie lived with John Bell. That's how we knew each other. Yeah. And um, I was on the way back to theirs with John and we popped in Sainsbury's and it ended up both buying these beautiful plants. <laughs> and I was like overwhelmed by the stock in there. It's so lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I know... I definitely feel like that's an element of my life which I'm missing is the ability to keep plants alive. Didn't yours die like on the way home or something? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm to expose you. Absolutely, how rude. Um, no, this was actually from um, what's the flower market in London? Uh, um, I forgot Columbia the name of Road. It. Yes, Columbia Road mm-hmm. Flower Market. So I literally bought this beautiful plant from Columbia Road Flower Market. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I was told by the people that it was extremely easy to keep alive. <laughs> I got home and I know it isn't it I got home and to be fair I'm going to expose my housemate's mum who was there and she told me that it looked like it needed a water so I watered it and immediately like if you can imagine it had like 
long stems immediately they just went flaccid and like <laughs> fell to the side oh, and I was no. like oh my god oh, and then no. I was like with a hair dryer trying to like dry oh, out shit. the soil a bit like on the hair dryer yeah I literally <laughs> put it by radiators was the clear liquid vodka or white spirit <laughs> yeah what was no, it no no it was water and then and then someone told me to put it in like the shower so I took it to the shower with me and honestly I've never seen within a day this is the fucking record for me I killed a beautiful 20 pound plant in a day <laughs> Like that—that that, that is, is the so worst that I've done. I know. So, oh my god, I really take my hat off to anyone who can keep one alive. We, we've killed uh, cactuses before. Oh, yeah, oh, no. I've done that. Oh, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you kill it? God, they shrivel. I've had I've had cactuses shrivel, mm. cacti shrivel on me. <laughs> um, yeah, you do not want a shrivel. You don't want a shriveler. Um, so yeah, very impressed. Yeah, I mean. You know, John used to take the piss out of me because I'd go around the house and be like, Such I a love you, you're doing great. I love you, you're doing great. Here's a little it's spritz. It's the affirmation. That, it works. I'm telling you, oh it my works. God, that and that. water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the drain from the bottom up. How do you do that? You get like a mushroom dish or a plant pot and you pour it into the mushroom dish or the plant pot and, right. and you let them drink it upwards, like with their roots instead of on top, like through the top. Wow. There we go. That's where I've been going wrong. That's the secret, everyone. That's the secret. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, great. Good to know. Thanks for coming in. I'm going to pop into Sainsbury's after this. Right. A time in your life where you felt like you really had your shit together. Oh, when I was, can I say when I was a child? Yeah, absolutely. I got signed by Polydor. By Universal. What age? I was just turned 16. Oh my gosh. And I was like, yep, I'm going to take over the world. Surely this is it. Like, watch out. Um, Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy, was I wrong. Oh my God, that's wild though. Yeah, it was really a really, really crazy time. It all happened so quickly. I was 15 when I met my first manager Uh and we created a little like acoustic music video for one of my little songs. Little song. I know, my little songs. (laughs) And I was wearing my little jumper with my little bob. I was literally a child. Um, And we were just like, yep, this might take five, ten years. Like, it's fine. Let's just put this on and see what happens. And she started to send it to um, music industry people and they all started to like get back, like Sony, like all all the big cats, crazy... And next thing I know, I was um, flying back and forth to London. This is when I was still living full-time yeah, yeah. in Ireland, yeah. which is where my family are, yeah. obviously, because I was still a child, still yeah. in school. Um, and I was starting to get all these record deals offered to me. Oh, my God. And there was, like, bidding wars. There was so much buzz around me. Wow. It was really crazy. And I finally went with Polydor. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, damn, this is it. I've got my shit together now. How did you find that at the time of like going to all of those big meetings with, I imagine, very intimidating people? And Honestly, I get, it's such a bit of sweetness. Mm. Um, I get kind of sad because when I think back to my younger self going through all of that, I was just like, I just wanted to play my little songs. You know, I was just like playing them to anyone that would listen. I didn't understand the business aspect of it. The business or like what was awaiting me. I didn't understand like what would be expected of me. I just Mm. thought that... I would get to play my songs more to like yeah. more people. Yeah. Um, also, looking back, like having <laughs> had a lot of time to reflect, it was scary as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really scary. Um, and I met so many people that would, you know, blow smoke up my ass and say, you're going to be great, you're amazing, mm. and like um, cool 
me their friend and stuff like that. And I learned very quickly that's like not the way that it works yeah. in this kind of game. It's very cutthroat. It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's such a bittersweetness when I think back. Oh my God, isn't yeah. that so funny? I, yeah, I can relate a little bit because um, coming out of drama school is when mm -hmm. you kind of meet with agents and stuff yeah, like that when, when they're um, looking to represent you. And I mean, I was 22 at that point. Yeah. And even then, like, kind of, yeah, just having no, being so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. with it all and, like, having the innocence of just wanting to I do know. the thing that you love. And it's kind of that thing that we were talking about just before this we started recording, actually, which was um, monetizing or, you know, having to make into your profession the thing that you just do for love and escape. Yeah. And, and this is it as well. Like, I had only just learned how to play the guitar. Like, <laughs> I, I learned on YouTube. Fucking prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so good. <laughs> um, no, I'd been, like, playing on my guitar um, for, like, I don't know. I was, must have been 12. So yeah. about three years. Yeah. And I had started writing these little songs. And so I was just like, yeah, I just want, this is all I, all I want to yeah. do. And then it just snowballed into something I would never have expected just again like I thought people were seeing me for me and like the potential of me and my songs mm -hmm. and not like okay so how are we going to brand this child yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like we you know just like sitting down in a room I spent so so much time in the studio with so many producers throughout my year with Polydor and it was all like you know how, um, we need to create songs for radio like this is nice but we, this is what we need you know it was right. just trying to, trying like, to mold pigeonhole, you into exactly else, pigeonhole yeah. me and mold me and it was like we want you to be like a Nora Jones but like Adele I said what oh, the no hell I don't even know how to be me like I'm 16 <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah it was crazy how was that being I guess being female as well in mm. that space like and a young female at that like did you feel like you were able to assert yourself or is that something no that you, no, no no I didn't I didn't unfortunately it felt it was very intimidating mm. and I didn't realise until after my experience just how intimidating and just how like, I don't know, small things like so I had so many ideas and so many of them were just like belittled or like, you know, they just weren't good enough. Yeah. And all the guys that I worked with, because it was mainly just men, yeah, yeah. older men, like 20, 30, 40 years older than mm -hmm. me, which weird. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was just them asserting their dominance and right. just, like, no feminine energy in, in anything yeah. I would do. So it was just, yeah, it was really, really hard. And, like, also so weird and hard to try and relate to an older guy about mm. my experiences and then write songs with them, you know? Yeah. It was like, hey, so nice to meet you. Let's, um, what have you been through recently? <laughs> I'm just like, what? Yeah. My little dad would just, like, come along with me to some of the sessions and... Bless them, like, my parents were so protective, mm. but, like, they've always encouraged me to go after my dreams no matter what, so they yeah. would never, ever try and get in the way of anything. But I remember just my mum being like, why? Like, this is not, this isn't okay. Like, just maybe wait until you're a bit older. Yeah. Like, you're going to work with all these men. And my dad obviously felt the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, I had some weird experiences, mm. um, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I'm just glad to be out of that now. Definitely. definitely. I can imagine as well, like... Um, I speak for myself in this situation, mm -hmm. but I am such a people pleaser. Yes. So trying to um, achieve something that you've dreamt of for such a long time. Yeah. And wanting to stay true to that dream and when it feels like it's within your grasp, mm -hmm. but then you have people um, 
talking down to you about like what you need to do and like the things that you need to change and stuff yeah. like that even though you want to stay true to your belief yeah, and your course. dream but also you want to please these people mm, and that's, yeah. that's so that takes such a strength of knowing yourself and at that mm. age it's like fucking hell I'm still on that journey like I can't <laughs> imagine trying to do that at that age it was really crazy it was um yeah I still definitely have whiplash from everything yeah. I'm still coming back to myself because yeah. It got like really bad. I got really sick, like mm-hmm. mentally and physically. And I ended up getting dropped and I ended up dropping out of school and I ended yeah. up going to hospital. So it was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who am I? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, what the yeah. fuck am I supposed to do? Um, but also, I believe it was very um, important for me to go through all of that yeah. because now I feel like I've found my voice within my songwriting and in my music. Mm. And I. I feel confident in making the music that feels authentic to me. Yeah. So I, it took a lot of no's and like wrong turns to, um, I don't know, find this right path that yeah. I'm on. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really sorry that you had to experience that. Oh, uh, you know. Yeah. I think though, like sometimes those experiences can um, be empowering in a sense because mm-hmm. you can see it for what it is. And yeah. like the... Um, the shininess gets dulled but sometimes that can be useful because I don't know you're you're more equipped for it yeah. for the second time around mm-hmm. or yeah 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 you definitely do um you learn how to navigate through mm-hmm. all of that bullshit a yeah. bit more it's still very hard oh, of course and I'm still sometimes when I go through similar things I'm like what the fuck I'm a kid again but yeah yeah, yeah. You do, you, you pick up the tools and mm. of like, you know, you learn how to come back to yourself. Yeah. Well, in opposition to that, a time in your life where you felt like you didn't have your shit together. Hmm. Oh God, there have been many, <laughs> many times. Uh, shit. Mm. I think I have to go back to lockdown again. Mm. I mean, there were for sure times before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when I got dropped from Polydor. Yeah. Like definitely. Um, in ways, I feel like the time that time period in lockdown was kind of worse even though that sounds crazy because at least when everything when all that stuff happened when I was younger I had the reasons and I it made sense as to why I was feeling the way I was but in lockdown it just was like out of the blue just like who the fuck am I like Mm. complete identity crisis and that like almost hit harder because I had like you know I'd progressed through um on my career in my career and like I seemingly knew who I was and mm. like had released an album and everything but it was just like I have no fucking idea how to write a song I don't know what I'm doing I really really don't have my shit yeah. together yeah. and I literally yeah I'd had to run home to my parents and yeah. like my horses and my dogs and yeah. just like get back to yourself exactly and come from and the things that inspired Mm-mm. you exactly yeah and so you said that you'd released an album already at that point yes so do you think there was like a pressure to follow that up as well? It's like second album syndrome. And yeah, stuff. yeah. It was, there was a pressure to follow up, but also have grown and exactly yeah. evolve. And yeah. there was a pressure. I put so much pressure on myself to create music that was outside of my comfort zone right. without taking a healthy stepping stone towards that. You know, mm. I was like, I need to make pop music now. Like, this is it. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear my sad acoustic <laughs> songs. But yeah, no, I just, um, there was so much pressure to um, show evolution and Mm. even though it was all false like this false sense of growth and even like with the stuff I was posting online like I was creating this facade this like persona that I actually wasn't and that was making me even more miserable because I was seeing like 
people around me who, um, you know, it works for them and yeah. who felt confident in that. And I was like, please, like, come on, please let me let me yeah. have that. Let me channel that. Yeah. And yeah, it just made me so miserable and oh depressed. Yeah, it was yeah. just, it was crazy. It was like wearing a really ill-fitting corset every single day, yeah. you know. Yeah. Comparison is just the death, isn't it? Oh like, my God. Yeah. I think yeah. part of like growing up now and is that peace with yourself exactly and that knowing acceptance. that you're enough yeah isn't it and mm -hmm. like staying authentic and just knowing that the things that you're making like you're making it for you exactly and if you like it there's going to be other people out there who mm -hmm. who want to listen to it yeah like exactly. definitely yeah, i completely agree yeah three things that make you feel like shit oh god um yikes instagram mm -hmm. for sure um what is it about instagram oh again that whole comparison yeah, thing yeah. that false uh yeah. just again it's the facade that, mm -hmm. that i just hate it i hate it so yeah. much i wish i was at a point in my career where somebody could just do all that shit yeah, for yeah, me yeah. um so definitely instagram um everything social media i just yeah. <laughs> absolutely does well not always, because sometimes, you know, you'll get a message from a fan and it's yeah, like yeah. really touching and it reminds you why you do what you do. Exactly, yeah. Um, so not entirely, but, you know, that whole negative side of... Yeah, and like the scroll, doom scrolling. The scroll hole. Oh my God, such a scroll hole. <sighs> I, I do it so much, like even before I go to bed, like I just end up on this... Yep. First thing in the morning as well. Why? And immediately, like, great. I feel shit about myself. Right. <laughs> I'm going to go back to bed <laughs> now. Yeah, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's so awful. It really is. And I think with careers like ours, it feels like it's a necessity. Mm. And that, you know, in order to kind of create some profile or even like networking, like yeah. I've had so many opportunities come through Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that it so would feel true. like I'd be cutting myself off from, yeah. like even us two, for example, like we messaged on Instagram Honestly, about yeah. arranging this before. No, it's so true and I, I've had so many amazing opportunities come through Instagram mm. like it's it's an incredible platform for networking like yeah. it really is and I can't take that away from it as well I found with the algorithm it's like it's got a dark side as well where I find that when I'm feeling really like sad all this like triggering shit will yeah. show up on my newsfeed and I don't know if um, it's me just paying more attention to it but it, it definitely feels like it's funny isn't it it's like it can read our souls oh now. my god yeah like yeah. I'll get an advert for like better help therapy and like please go <laughs> <laughs> when did they install the chip into my mind <laughs> yeah yeah so definitely social yeah. media is one of them mm. um if i go too long without going home it yeah. makes me feel like shit homesick because i am a home bird yeah i have my little dog at home and my horse yeah my how long parents. have you lived away from home now i honestly i started leaving home once the whole polydor yeah. shit kicked off did you feel the pressure that you needed to be in london oh yeah because i was in rural ireland wow so i could there was nothing that would you know help my career there yeah. other than inspiration and yeah, writing yeah. um but yeah so i officially moved to london in 2017 when i moved in with john and what age was that i was 20 wow 20 i was yeah. a little baby yeah um and I've noticed over the past couple of years, I've just been so much more busier. And I've also, so my grandparents live with me mm -hmm. my whole life. And when we moved, the reason we moved to Ireland was because my granddad, where we, when my dad built our house, he was born on that plot of land. Like, <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, so we wanted to take my grandparents home, yeah. um, essentially. Oh. But both of them passed away. Uh, my nanny in 2020 and my granddad just... Uh, last October yeah. 
So I've also found going home is like really difficult for me because my dad built this massive house like full of rooms that used to be yeah. filled with like my sisters life. and my, yeah. yeah, exactly life. And now yeah. it's just kind of empty and yeah. and I lost a family dog as well. Oh. So I'm just oh like... Oh my God, that hit so hard, doesn't it? Oh my God, he was 17 oh. on Murphy. Oh. He was such a miserable little shit, but like I loved him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does. It's like, it's, a fa- it's losing a family. It's grief. My parents brought me and my sisters up to like, and it sounds weird, but like, you know, we were like the dogs are basically your brothers, you know, they're family, they're oh. our family. They sleep inside, <laughs> like they're going to be like, they're there always. Oh. And when we lost my first dog, Lenny, which was a black Labrador, I just remember my mum, the grief. Oh my God, my dad, bless him. When he was a kid, he had a little dachshund called Penny and she she died and she was his best friend and he refused to get close to any of our pets. I mean, he like, he's been affectionate. And he, he loves become them. avoidant with the animals. But he was like, I can't, like, I can't love an animal that much again. Oh it's God. just too much. But yeah. then my sister a few years ago got a golden Labrador named Oscar, and he is just head over heels. They wriggle their way into your heart. Oh, don't they, they really do. They yeah. really do. Um, um, but yeah. So home and um, yeah. how how was it coming from rural Ireland to? somewhere quite the opposite in London oh god um I mean to be fair where you and John were first living it was very rural London it was, very rural. <laughs> it was basically Cornwall you know? yeah. uh, well I'd grown up in Hampshire like, mm. I moved to Ireland when I was 10 so I had like we always lived in the countryside yeah, yeah. um like I always had that freedom of like going to the forest when I was a kid and like we always had ponies as well um but we also like we were just on the edge of the city as well like in Portsmouth so it wasn't too much of a crazy difference for mm. me, but I took like the whole train system here took me a long time to get used to. I was really scared. Yeah, yeah. I was so scared. Tubes. Oh, the fucking I've heard tubes. stories of people crying in the tube. Like, yeah, those stories about me. <laughs> oh, it's you. It's me. <laughs> no, like it took me a long time. Yeah. And I still like I still oh. will definitely get it's overwhelming. Very it? scared on the tube. Yeah. yeah. I find I have a similar sensation about like going home and yeah. I I more recently actually like I go through waves of of loving living in London and then finding it quite difficult and yeah. I think more recently I'm finding that kind of um what's it called like toxic productivity thing yeah. in London I don't really get it at home mm-hmm. it's always been a London thing like an inability to rest yeah and like an inability to have a day off and if you know if I was going home to be with my parents I'd have no qualms about on a Saturday just like allowing myself to sit on the sofa and just recharge whereas in London at a weekend I'm or any day I'm just like I need to be achieving something everyone's out there achieving I need to fulfill my dreams and I just find that so like anxiety provoking it's paralyzing and I've been struggling with that so much as well because of the nature of my job my career yeah like um it it comes in waves of productivity like you're either really busy you're on tour Mm. you're in the studio recording or it's nothing yeah and it's those those periods of nothing and Mm -hmm. stillness where I'm like fuck yeah everybody's working everybody has a job I'm just sitting here I'm like a slob what the I fuck know. am I doing um I have since started like volunteering at a charity shop so that's yes, kind of makes helped. a difference doesn't it, it makes yeah. so much of a difference even just to have like, like a structure and a purpose just, yeah just purpose because it is that feeling that toxic productivity yeah. and the, the pressure to like even make it seem like you're doing something to others and yeah, I get yeah. so insecure when people ask me um like so what are you doing like what do you do with your time and I'm like just don't <laughs> Just that's actually that's a really not. rude question why are you asking that <laughs> no I'm the same and I get really paranoid that I'm boring and that I have same. nothing to say oh um, shit same yeah 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 it's pretty no it's wild I really think 
there's something about feeling like you're contributing in whatever way yeah I have the biggest I actually was like I couldn't sleep last night and I ended up like journaling and the main thing that I was feeling mm-hmm. was just like ennui <laughs> do you mm-hmm. know that word like no. it's like a French word and it's basically like a um listlessness wow it's like um I don't think they have like a similar word in English listlessness <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know google google it because it's better it's a better analogy but um but that feeling of just like you're not contributing and it's like yeah who am I and all of those things yeah like, like I time really is have ticking. those yeah yeah I get that for sure yeah. like oh, I guess how hard I can be on myself mm-hmm. like it just takes the smallest thing to like trigger me and set me off and yeah. then oh my god it's it's crazy how easily like I don't know how you feel but how quickly you are to just agree with your inner critic you're like yep you are a piece of shit (laughs) it's just yeah that that's something that really gets me and I'm as I'm growing older I'm becoming more like self-aware and I'm I'm able to like you know pinpoint that that voice Mm. and that feeling and and I can kind of tell the difference between what is real and what isn't when I'm feeling that way Mm. um but it's been something I've struggled with everyone struggles with it you know like insecurities but what do you what do you think that is? Do you think it's like a perfectionism? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think it's like kind of an OCD thing as well. Like right. I used to have a really bad eating disorder and and although I've I've come through that, um like it's something that will always linger, I feel. There's a Brenny Brown podcast that I listened to where she was talking about perfectionism. Yeah. And where perfectionism drives us, shame is there. Yeah. Perfectionism is a function of shame. The opposite of perfectionism is healthy striving or striving for excellence. Yeah, it just really resonated with me. But because I have that same thing and like even around like the eating disorder and stuff like that, what what it sounds like to me is um, trying to control when you feel like you have a lack of control. And that's what perfectionism is -hmm. is as well. Like you feel so out of control with so many things. So rather than accepting what is and is not within your control, you're Mm -hmm. you're like zooming in on on the minutiae. No, exactly. Yeah. And it takes away from things that should be enjoyable, you know, like that gig I did last weekend. There were moments of the gig where I was able to just be present and like Mm. I really enjoyed myself. But then there are other moments where I'm just like so hyper-focused on how I'm being perceived, how I'm looking, how I'm sounding. And it's just like in my head, I'm just like, oh, you're doing so wrong. You sound like shit. Like stop. Like even throughout the first song, I had to pull away from the mic a few times because I was just overwhelmed with this feeling of like that inner critic just being like, you need to maybe just yeah. get off the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that makes me feel like shit. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. And I have gotten better thanks to therapy. Yeah, um, yeah. This is sponsored by therapy. <laughs> I think all of these episodes are, to be fair. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely have that. It's like that self-sabotaging mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and just it, being so hard on ourselves. Completely. And if my friends came to me and were saying this stuff, I'd be like, what are you uh, talking about? Like, uh, stop. But it does, it it just, I hate the power and the ability it has to like just suck the good out or yeah, just the good out of like times where I should have felt proud of myself or like I've achieved something, you know. There are parts of being a perfectionist that I think are kind of good. It means I will always want to practice and like, you know, I'll always want to do my absolute best. Um, But unfortunately it is overshadowed by that like, fuck you voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Such a toxic little shit. Yes. (laughs) Self-saboteur. Hey, while I've got you, if you like what you're listening to, do us a favour and share us a little love. Follow or subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave a review and share far and wide to spread the word.
You can also find us on social media. Thanks. In opposition to that, then, mm-hmm. three things that make you feel like the shit. Ooh, okay. Um, okay, so <laughs> kind of contradicting what I just had said about the gigs, but sometimes um, after a gig that I've really enjoyed, the moment where I unplug my guitar and I walk off the stage, I did a gig at the Barbican a few years mm-hmm. back. I was opening for a band called the Milk Carton Kids, and they're like quite a big American band. And I was fucking dreading this gig because it's like, 2,800 people, biggest mm. gig I've ever done. Um, and I was like, no, for sure, I'm going to, like, fucking ruin this. <laughs> like, no, like I'm going to mm. pass out on that stage. <laughs> um, like, I, yeah, I had just really gotten in my head about it, but the gig went really well, and just that feeling of the last song, the last note, and then finishing and unplugging my guitar and walking off the stage, that made me feel like the shit. I was like, yeah, I've got my shit together. That's the shit, isn't it? And yeah. that's why, like, that's why we fucking do it. <laughs> right. And so, like, everything that we've just been talking about is like, I, I just, I'm terrible. I write a song and I just think I'm fucking life. shit. You could almost be like, then why you put yourself through it? it was, I know, like, it's but like, that's well, the fucking moment. This. Yeah. When yeah. you're like, fucking nailed that. Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's wild, isn't it? It was a great feeling. Yeah. But it's funny that, like, before the podcast started, you were saying that. You, you're quite like introverted and you're quite shy and stuff yeah. like that and yet you are able to do that yeah oh god I, I don't understand like yeah. it is wild to me because like logically when I think about it like so I was really badly bullied in school like mm. I am naturally scared of everyone right. like it's just I guess it's just been made to be part of my design yeah, like you yeah. know so getting on stage it's something when I think about it when I like take myself out of the situation I'm like what the fuck no way am I going to get on a stage in front of all these people to look at me but I still yeah I still like turn up and do it it's just wild it's crazy but it's it's I guess it's the art that's making you do it yeah it's it's the opportunity that you get to perform the thing that you love doing and no for sure do you feel do you feel present when you're doing it like when you're on stage so there are yeah I mainly do feel present yeah um although sometimes the the feelings yeah. of, you know, being hyper-focused and everything, uh-huh. it can feel a lot larger than that. But yeah, yeah there, are, there are times when I'm just like swimming in my songs wow. and it's just like the best feeling. Yeah. I can't even, it's like having an out-of-body experience yeah, yeah. without sounding pretentious. It oh, really does feel like that. It feels like there's no one, everything just like shuts off and stops yeah. for a second. It like stops time, it really does. Yeah. It's an incredible feeling and and it's... It, honestly, it's like it's like swimming in a sound. Yeah. It's the best feeling. Yeah. Well, it doesn't surprise me because your album and your songs are so like ethereal and so Aww. dreamy. I can imagine just like I'm. I'm yet to see you. I need to come <laughs> see you, but I can imagine that that would be the sensation in the room as well. That it would be quite captivating. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another thing that makes me feel like the shit is when I'm with. Uh, when I'm spending time with horses. Okay. Because I feel like horses are quite intimidating creatures. Mm. No, they're very... They could kill you in a second if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, But I... I don't know. I feel like... I feel like I can... Not that I'm like Monty Roberts' horses for anything. <laughs> but I feel like I can earn their respect because I kind of know a way to be around them and it wow. just makes me feel like really connected and like yeah damn that's that's kind of yeah. cool that, that I can I can do that yeah not with every horse I did have a horse last year that tried to kill me oh broke all my ribs so oh my god it's hit and miss but yeah. most of my interactions with horses have yeah. been very like 
sacred to me. My horse Digger, bless him, he's retired now. Digger. I know. Oh, that's such a good name. He's so, oh God, um, he's an ex-race horse oh, and wow. I got him when I was 12 mm. and he fucking hated me. Yeah. I, he taught me how to ride. Really, he's my heart horse, I believe. Oh. And he taught me how to like believe in myself and how to like be confident in myself through trying to kill me. <laughs> you know, but it was important yeah, and yeah. like horses want a leader. They want they don't want the responsibility and the pressure of having to lead and to guide. Yeah. Animals are intelligent as well. Yeah. They can I imagine that they can probably sense if you're nervous of oh, them definitely. and they pick up on that energy. So oh, yeah. to ride a horse, you probably have to assert yourself a bit. Oh, you, and that's you do. gotta be good for someone yeah. who struggles with asserting <laughs> yeah. themselves. No, it's, it's like the one place where I actually do feel confident yeah. and like I can assert myself and wow. I and I listen to myself. It's very yeah. it's it's really an incredible feeling, but yeah, as I grew with Digger, like I went through a long period of time without riding him and stuff. Mm. But he's the kind of horse where, um, like thoroughbreds, he's a thoroughbred. He gets mm. they get so much shit for being flighty and like right. you know, hot horses, which they they can be. But mm. Digger's the kind of horse that I could go away for like a year and come back and just throw the saddle on him and ride him. He'd be like, right, okay. Yeah. But when I was younger and I rode him a lot more, oh my god, like he would take the absolute piss out of me. If I was scared, because yeah. I remember my mum and dad would take me on hacks. They'd like come with me, they'd yeah. walk with me. And I was like, right, do you know what? I think I was like 12. I was like, I'm going to do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I think just me and Digger, I, I can do it. And the first time Digger was, actually the first hack I went on with him, he was so good. He made me feel so comfortable. He listened to me. And then, then that's when he started to challenge me. It was mm-hmm. like... If you're nervous, we're going home and he would turn around and march home and oh there was nothing I could do about it because he's a half ton animal and I yeah, was like yeah, a, yeah. a small child. Um, but he did. He taught me how to like assert, be mm. more assertive within myself and to like communicate with him. Mm. And yeah, it was, that's, it made me feel, it makes me feel really good being yeah. around horses. God, animals as well, though, just in general. Oh, like, I love them. Yeah. I love them. I yeah. Love, they're the purest souls. They really are. It's like my um, housemate's dog, Seamus. Mm. You need to come meet yeah. him. He's just the sweetest. He's so emotionally intelligent. Mm. I feel like I'm cheating on my dog, Hemingway. <laughs> Sorry, Hemingway, if you're listening. <laughs> but Seamus will do this thing where, like, if you start to cry, if he mm. senses your emotional, he will instantly get up, come over to you, start like sniffing your eyes, licking them and like comforting you. He will like lean his body into yeah. you. He's like an actual therapy dog. Like wow. it's insane. Um, yeah, I just, I love animals. Yeah. I've always loved them. Wow. Specifically horses. Wow. Mm. I love, this might be quite shallow considering all my others have been like home and horses. <laughs> I love it when I find something great in a charity shop okay like I've got I think I get it from my mum but mm-hmm. I have such a good success rate on finding the best things in charity uh-huh. shops or just like secondhand shops yeah yeah and that makes me feel like I don't know good about myself yeah hell yeah because it's like as well it's you have to put in effort it's work you do it's yeah. fucking it takes hours yeah Trudging through the shit that's yes. yeah, you yeah. Know, and accumulates. specifically charity shops as well because you can go to like thrift stores and stuff mm-hmm. where it's a bit more curated. Yeah. Whereas like a charity shop, it's a free for all. Yeah. You're, you're trying to find that one diamond in the in the in rough. It's um, good. It, yeah. it teaches you patience and resilience. Yeah, you yeah. know. It's, <laughs> um, but yeah, that makes me and it also because I love um, most of my clothes are secondhand and uh-huh. I've really really tried to make a conscious effort to only shop secondhand. Mm. There are some things, of course, that, you know, you can't get secondhand. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I try and go for a sustainable 
brand or like even my merch it's all like sustainably mm. sourced um, materials and stuff um but yeah it makes me feel good that I'm like kind of contributing in a good way mm-hmm. but also going home with like a really good bargain <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the last thing that you got do you remember um oh there's a couple things I got a Gucci necklace Oh my for god! Thirty quid. Oh my in god! A charity shop. Tell you what, charity shops in London have some good shit. In oh, them. they fucking do. But what I noticed when I first came, because mm-hmm. like charity shops in Alderman stuff would be like ninety nine p. Like mm-hmm. everyone was like ninety nine p. Oh god, not London charity shops have clocked on. They... I think specifically depending on which area you go to, yeah. but they started to clock on that. I mean, and as well they should. Yeah, no, they <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they have clocked onto it a bit more so it can be a bit more expensive but the fact that you got mm. that for so cheap oh is my like... god I was so happy I was in some I find some charity shops well can be a little bit like pretentious or like mm. you know I get it when it's like especially in a place like Islington like they want to you know yeah. it's going to be good um, quality clothes and yeah. it's um, but then I did find this it's my favourite charity shop and it's a secret I've been keeping it a secret okay. but I um, you can tell me after <laughs> I will but everything is like two to fifteen pounds. Wow. And I bought this gorgeous like German trench coat oh my the God. other day for eight pounds. Wow. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. We've yeah. got um a trade near me. Oh, a trade is great. They're really good. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know how they do it, but they'll have like Converse for like ninety nine P. They'll just like Oh my god, yeah. They'll do like a sale day uh-huh. where like all their shoes are like a pound or something. Amazing. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's and it's cool. Like they always have dead um quirky like um shop window mm-hmm. um, yeah. things because I think they get like fashion schools <laughs> yeah. to like design, design them. the They're mannequins. Cool. Um, yeah, God, love mm. that. Something that makes you lose your shit in a positive and a negative way. Oh, I don't know. If something really good happens for someone I care about, mm-hmm. I get so excited. Like I was telling you about my boyfriend being in Rockfield yeah. and I was just so excited and he was playing his demos to me the other day in my house and I was just like... He had these, um, his friend um, recorded strings for the songs mm-hmm. and he was playing them and I was just like getting ready in my room and I came and I was almost like in tears because I was like, this is fucking amazing. Oh like, you gosh. should be so proud. Like, oh. I really got so excited. I'm still so excited. Yeah. And just Yeah, so that makes me lose my shit. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, really buzzing for someone that I care about and yeah, like things yeah. are going well for them. That yeah. makes me really, really happy. Yeah. Um, That's so nice because like not, everyone can say that you know mm. I think sometimes you can it's that self-comparison thing as well isn't it where you can be like oh but I kind of want that thing as well but it's yeah. like amazing to be able to just be purely happy for mm-hmm. someone I mean it's taken me a long time yeah. to get to that place yeah. because there has been times when I've been like fuck you this should be my way <laughs> <laughs> that should be me but no I've learned that it's better to I mean I'm human yeah, I have an ego yeah. it, you know sometimes I get insecure and I feel threatened but mm. I'm learning to stay humble and, yeah. you know, I want to be grounded and I want to be able to express my joy for for those that I care about who are succeeding. Like, yeah. of course I do, yeah. of course. Um, yeah, and something that makes me lose my shit in a negative way, when people are mean to animals. Yeah. Especially pigeons in London. I love them. Oh. I've got such a soft spot for them. And like, I honestly will go to town. If I see someone picking on a pigeon, they better watch out. What, so what have you seen? What, what kind of pigeon seen, picking on have, oh have you seen? Oh my God, I've seen rogue kids. Parents just letting their kids off their leash. Yeah, yeah. And these kids... <laughs> they should be leashed, They absolutely. should be. Um, 
No, just like kids chasing and trying to kick the pigeons oh. and like it's just leave them alone. Yeah. Like pigeons are smart and we were the ones that domesticated them and they've like they've contributed so much to our society yeah. and they've helped us so much like scientifically and just like in history they were important like with delivering messages and shit like that so I I have such fond memories of when I was a child and I my nanny and granddad they lived next door to us when we lived in England Uh and my granddad like had this beautiful garden that he planted all these roses in Mm. for my nanny and she would um sit in on her little sun chair in the garden and we'd watch the pigeons racing she'd always point them out to me so she loved pigeons. I love pigeons. So stay away from them. <laughs> I had a great fact about pigeons recently. That um, So this is what I often do with facts is I'll misremember the exact detail of the fact. <laughs> and the science behind the fact will be right. But the essence of the fact is. So I heard something about pigeons similar to this. Mm-hmm. Humans have, let's say, three visual receptors <laughs> in their eyes yeah. to be able to see colour, okay? okay? Pigeons apparently have like, this is completely incorrect, 500, something 500. like that. <laughs> could be more, could be less. Wow. But so, to the naked human eye, a pigeon looks grey, uh-huh. maybe with a fleck of purple and a fleck of green. Mm-hmm. A pigeon to a pigeon Whoa. Holy is fuck. like... No wonder they're dancing to each other all the time. A glorious like rainbow of colours and it must be the most beautiful thing anyone can see. But we can't see it and appreciate it. Maybe I can and that's why I love them so much. You've got pigeon eyes. They are illuminating. (laughs) (laughs) I was brought up just like my nanny. Again, I always talk about my nanny because she was just this big influence influence in my life. She was like such a mothering figure. Mm. I mean, I have my mum obviously, but it was just very matriarchal growing up. Just my, the essence of my nanny mm. rose was just, you know, that it was just so pure and mm-hmm. rubbed off on all of us. Um, but she loved animals so much. She would always say, even when she had dementia, she would say, um, most animals are better than people. And I yeah. agree. Yeah, You know, they really are. And she would always tell me stories of when she was a, a child. Um, she didn't know her mum. She grew up in a convent, which was horrible wow. in Dublin. Yeah. And then she... Um, lived with this old lady who had an old black and white cat and when it was raining she would sneak the cat into her room and hide it under her covers and Mrs Kyo was her name she would Mm -hmm. come and she'd be like you better not have that fucking cat in in those covers and she'd be like no 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 I don't and then Mrs Kyo would come in when she was sleeping and she'd hear the cat purring and so she'd like give my nanny a wallop and take the cat and throw it out she always loved animals Mm. (laughs) and she had dementia and my horse used to live on in the fields around my house and one day I brought him up to the fence to say hello to her and she was like that's a lovely big dog you've got there (laughs) a moment that you found some shit out about yourself I have two examples is that okay absolutely one ties in with my music Mm -hmm. and one is just like a so the first one is the first gig I did in Union Chapel mm-hmm. years ago, I was opening uh-huh. for my friend Ben Leftwich and the tour had been so bad. I was like suffering with panic panic attacks every single day. I was mm. such I was in such a bad place mentally. And I remember it got to Union Chapel and I was like, I can't do this gig. I cannot do it physically, mentally, spiritually. I'm unable to do this gig. But I couldn't pull out because I couldn't let my friend Ben down mm. and... Yeah, I just, I couldn't do that. So it was so hard. The the moments before I like walked on the stage, 
I just remember I was like, oh my God, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm. But I did it. I got yeah. through it and I got off the stage and, you know, I got through it. And what do you think was the thing that got you through it? Like, I just listened to that little tiny voice that you yeah. sometimes get when you're at your worst and it's like, you can do this, yeah. like you've got this, yeah. you can do this. And it's such an endearing thing when that comes from yourself. Mm. It's yeah. like such a beautiful form of self-care when mm. it's just like you are unusually because for me I'm usually so hard on myself I very rarely hear that voice but in this occasion like in, in times like that it was just like no you can do this yeah, come yeah, on yeah. like you can you can do this you're yeah. going to be okay just be kind to yourself um and I think another time was when I had my my little mental episode when I was 18 mm-hmm. and I went to hospital because mm-hmm. I had a very very bad evening I kind of yeah I had like a full-on mental breakdown Mm. um and I thought it was the end for me I honestly thought I could never recover from something like that and I was only in the hospital I was in the hospital for only like a week so not even that long but I was just the whole time it felt like an out-of-body experience I couldn't believe that, that the things that had happened had happened and I was there and I was just like yeah this is it now like this is my life these things, these things that terrify me are now defining me and this is it, this is proof. But it was Mm. totally like, without sounding cheesy, instead of it being a breakdown, it was more of a breakthrough. And I came out of it feeling so much closer to myself and just getting through that period was a real test of my strength and it's made me so much stronger. And yeah, I think the resilience I, I showed through that. Yeah. And my family, my family obviously was so supportive. Um, They've always been so supportive. I've always had issues with my mental health, like Mm. depression and PTSD and everything like that. And they've always showed up, but also I've always managed to like reach in and take my own hand and guide myself through these things. And especially that it was like really, really hard. And I still managed to, I don't know, come back to myself. But that is that old adage I don't know if that's a word but like of sometimes you really have to reach yeah. rock bottom to be able to yeah come back from it exactly and, and show up for yourself mm-hmm. and exactly what you said like the resilience that yeah in those moments when you're so low and you feel like you can't achieve anything and actually just getting up every day and yeah. is strength mm-hmm. and proof that you're strong and no exactly and it's it's made me more aware of those little wins that you have in the day when you do feel like you can't get out of bed and when you feel like you can't eat anything but you you do it anyway Mm. you like you make yourself a slice of toast or you get Mm. out of bed even even if it's just for a couple of hours you can at least say like I did that for myself like I'm yeah Mm. still wanting to survive yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah yeah so that was that and then the last one (laughs) um was that time I had the accident on my horse Uh uh-huh he wasn't my horse I was loaning him um it was a French draft horse named Hendrix and he's a big stocky guy very young very insecure Mm -hmm. um he's about six years old I think I know a few of them yeah (laughs) (laughs) um why are you looking at me (laughs) you're just representing the men in the room I think you're the majority right now I um, know, <laughs> uh, but he was very unsure of himself, and very stupidly, I wanted to um, have 
jumping lessons with him because I thought, why not? Yeah. Like, but he is not the kind of horse that can prance over poles. Like, no. he is such a clumsy little thing. Very, very sweet. Such golden Labrador energy. Mm. Um, but also demonic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, was doing this lesson and horses are very, very smart and mm. they can be very insecure. And Hendrix was very insecure and he didn't like it when he messed up. He would be very hard on himself and mm. then it would throw him for the rest of the lesson. And he had made a couple of mistakes in this one specific lesson. And I could feel him. I could feel his body language. He was getting more and more tense. He was getting more and more frustrated. And he was just like, and I was fucking up as well. Mm. So he was pissed off at me because I was the one giving the, you know, the instructions. I was the one like telling him what he should be doing and... um. We were both just like a bit all over the place. And then there was a moment where um, I asked him to do one thing. I had one command and he fucked it up. And that was, he just was like, no, fuck you. We're done here. And he took off in the arena and he galloped towards the arena gate. And (laughs) with all his might, he tried so hard to jump over that gate, but just crashed through it because of the weight of it. Oh, God. And like kicks me in the head and I broke my ribs and oh sprained my, my neck. But the moment after it happened, when I was like lying in the floor, like, yeah. what the fuck? How am I yeah, here? And yeah. why have I got a mouthful of sand? Yeah. I got back on him straight it's away. That's literally what they say, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, well, that's Get the thing. Back you on can't. Because oh, otherwise you're just traumatized. I was, but yeah. I was full of adrenaline. So I didn't yeah. realize I had broken ribs. I didn't realize Shit. that my neck was like fucked. Oh my God. And so I was just like, Hendrix, come here. Oh my God. I got back on him and yeah. I tried to, my poor instructor, she was like shitting herself. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I was dying. But yeah, no, I got back on and I, I corrected him and I tried to continue with the lesson and he tried to do it again. Um, and then that's when my ribs started to hurt. And I was like, yeah. oh, maybe I should go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was like resilience. It was because that is scary. Um, but I forgave him almost immediately because like I understood my own mistakes and he was also just being a prick. <laughs> but yeah, no, it didn't. It didn't stop me from not getting back on. Oh, God, wow. That would absolutely terrify me. I mean, it definitely took me a while to like get over it. Like getting even on Digger, getting yeah. back on Digger. I was like, please, Digger, please. I know. Yeah. I know I can be yeah. a pain in the arse, but please don't do that. Mm. Um, Digger never did anything like that with me. Yeah. But yeah, it was a uh, yeah, I was proud of myself. Yeah, mm. should be. Um, shittest piece of advice you've received? Just be happy. Mm. Just like when I've been so depressed. Oh, but you've got so many things going for you. Like you should just smile. Like that mm. kind of advice. I'm mm. just like, okay. Yeah. Please go and check on some concrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't deal with that. Or when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to doing gigs and people are like, just pretend everyone's naked. <laughs> You know, so in what world? Where does that? When does that work? That that's even worse. No, I know. Yeah, completely. A room full of naked people is quite startling. Actually, I don't think it's like a select few. Yeah. Put your clothes on. Yeah, but yeah, no, that advice is shit. I don't yeah. know who came up. Whoever no. came up with that? Fuck you. Yeah, silly Billy. Yeah, but I'm. I feel pretty blessed to have wise people around me in yeah, my life. Yeah, you do yeah. give me good advice, yeah. but there are sometimes I come across a few people and they're just like, "I've got all the answers for your problems." Yeah, and it's Listen productive, isn't it? Because hmm. I think, I think as well, when people are dealing with someone who's like depressed or unhappy or yeah. something like that, 
the tendency, I think, within human nature is to fix it. I want yes, to fix of it. Of course. And yeah. actually, sometimes you can't fix it yeah. and you just need to sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And that tendency can get frustrating because you're like, well, just, just be happy. You've got so much going for you. I don't I understand know. why you're not happy. Exactly. And it's like, it's so reductive. I know. <laughs> to it's like receive. I don't understand. Yeah, because you're like, I know isolating. I should be happy and I'm not. And that's why I'm not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel really bad about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, people mean well, but yeah. sometimes yeah. people should just maybe. Quiet. Think. <laughs> Shit you wish you'd known sooner. That even though I try so hard to see the best in everyone and in a lot of situations, some people are just crappy and are opportunistic. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much you bend your back for them, it mm. won't be good enough. Yeah. And I wish I'd known that sooner. Mm. Do you think you feel that mostly in like a career sense? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so, definitely. I, I feel like I was prodded and poked so much. And I, again, coming back to the people pleaser thing, mm. I just, and I trusted people so easily when I was a kid, even though, you know, it wasn't really, again, it wasn't really in my nature to trust, but because it was my dream dangling on a stick in front of me, I was like, yes, surely they believe in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want the best for me. I was very naive and easily manipulated. And yeah. Also, it's that like, it's like a white coat thing, isn't there, of mm. like, trusting people in positions of power yeah, oh my and God, of automatically just thinking that they know yeah. best and yeah of course handing over that to people yeah and actually learning that there's personal gain in that for them mm-hmm. as well and they're yeah. going to be doing what they need to do in oh, order yeah. for their survival and, oh my god of course i mean yeah the amount of people that dropped off the radar when i got dropped by polydor really it was so sad for me as a kid because mm. i really thought i was like what I age really was thought- this this was, I had just turned 17. Right, gosh, young, yeah. And I was like, these people, I thought they were like my friends and I thought that they cared and that they'd stick around. Mm. And then even my manager, she fucked off too. Gosh. So, um, yeah, I think it's a strength to see the best in people yeah. and try and be empathetic and try and, you know. But it can leave you exposed, can't it? It can, it yeah. really can. It can be very damaging. Yeah. And I just wish I'd known. And it's something I'm still working with. Mm. I still quite easily take feel taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, with people that I let in so my circle is it's it's never been a big circle but my circle is very very small now I just you know I have a select few of people that I know I can rely on um, who I know can rely on me Mm -hmm. and it's like reciprocated but yeah it's been a hard lesson I guess it's that thing of like people like need to earn your trust as well yeah you can treat everyone with love and kindness Mm -hmm. but like trust is something that kind of needs to be earned a bit more yeah definitely um Okay, so before this, I asked you to think of a shit shot. <laughs> so that is a photo um, that might be on Instagram or might be like a e- media thing or just for yourself. But mm-hmm. to the outside eye would look like you had your shit together at that point. But yeah. like when it was actually taken, it felt quite different. Um, a picture from my last album campaign of me, I used horses in it, mm-hmm. the cover of my album is basically my ass, but it's a picture of me climbing on top of a horse it's symbolic I swear um, <laughs> do you know that horse is that one of your horses no, no. god no my bloody hell digger's a bony old guy <laughs> <laughs> I love him bless him but he couldn't have gotten this job yeah. these horses are movie horses they're actual film stars oh darling. my god yeah like these horses were used in Game of Thrones no and way. Outlander no actually way. some of them definitely I thought I recognised yeah. him <laughs> I know um, yeah so it's a picture of me on this gorgeous um um what are they called an andalusian style okay is that yeah. what it's, i think that's beautiful white horse beautiful white horse basically any normies out there <laughs> <laughs> and he's back on his hind legs he's rearing up um and i am holding on for dear life yeah 
but it felt really weird. Mm-hmm. I've, the only time I've experienced that feeling on a horse is when it's tried to kill me. Yeah. So it was, um, it was an interesting experience to have the horse do that on command. Um, and it's just a really cool pick. Yeah, it's and a cool I'm pick. wearing a really cool sexy little lace bodysuit <laughs> and I feel like I was a part of Cirque du Soleil or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you feel at that point, like, did you feel in control? Yes, because no. you were like handing over, you're about to hand over your album and stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. I was shitting myself. Yeah. I was like, is this the right move? Was the branding? Oh my God. Like after that photo shoot, I was like, what the fuck? I remember on the day I was like, this is, this is all wrong. Yeah. This is all wrong. Like, I feel like this isn't me. I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. I like completely lost the belief in myself and you can kind of see it and the, the expression on my face it was a test shot, but I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> That's so funny because only you would be able to read that. Yeah, like because it was all my idea. This is the like one thing I absolutely love about like my team and everything. Mm. Like obviously there's creative input, but I'm a, I'm very much the driving force yeah. behind my my music and behind like the branding. And I mm. wanted the album cover. I wanted horses to be involved yeah. because they're a big part of this yeah. album. I went home and I spent all my time with horses and. Mm. So that's why it's they're like a, they're a massive part in this album. Um, so this was all my idea, yeah. even everything down to the looks, the clothes. Um, so I mean, shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan, <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Next thing I'm like basically naked on top of a horse. Like, oh shit, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> this isn't this isn't right. But it was, and it yeah. felt right. And the pictures are amazing. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. I'm really proud. It was really scary. Um, just I I was so out of my comfort zone obviously like kind of being basically naked yeah. in front of like a team of people mm-hmm. um but it was it was like really good it was empowering and the horses were amazing yeah. and and yeah I'm I'm now now I'm like super happy I, I just had a moment of real doubt that yeah. day you know yeah as you do I got cold feet yeah and I but it's strange as well because like you know, you're a musician, you write all of that, but then now so much part of it is branding and like knowing yeah. what you want the whole thing to look mm-hmm. like and the artwork and everything around that. And yeah. that can be overwhelming. Oh my God, it's so, do you know how many fucking Pinterest boards I have? <laughs> like I'm trying to like go back to my roots yeah. and like brand myself. Yeah. It's, it's so hard. It's really difficult and it doesn't come to me naturally. No, like no, no. some parts of it do, like aesthetically, I know what I like the look yeah. of and I know sometimes how I want things to look and mm. how I want them to be perceived but it's really really hard like branding myself yeah because oh, sometimes I regret that I didn't have like a separate name for my project mm. and that it is my own name because having to brand myself has been such yeah, a challenge yeah. in the past it's like it's it's been really difficult I feel like who is Rosie Carney and who am I yeah like, honestly yeah. like where is the separation here yeah. like what do I what is reserved for me and what do I show? That's so interesting. Um, so that's that's been hard, but I feel like I've become more fluid with it and I've, mm. I'm allowing myself to have a bit more fun with it. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. now, like I'm I'm working on an EP, like nice. a collaborative EP yeah. with some really cool people and it's really, honestly, it's just like a little fun side project of like these kind of dream pop mute yeah. songs. Um, so it's like, Doing stuff like that is allowing me to take the pressure off like what the whole brand has mm. to be and everything. I think as so long as I'm being myself and I'm con- like consistent yeah. with that, then it, you know, it becomes more fluid. But how do you find it being like a perfectionist in that space? Because I've started um, experiencing it recently. And mm-hmm. I mean, with acting, you have so little control over yeah. it. Like you, you do 
like three or four takes and then actually it's it's not down to you which take is chosen and stuff like that and you very much have to just leave it in the lap of the gods Mm. um but as I was saying before like I had a spoken word piece filmed and then um I I am not a musician or a composer um, and obviously wanted that with it and handing over your art to someone else to kind of bring their art to it I was finding it so difficult to like because I couldn't I didn't have the musical language to express what I wanted yeah um, but also knew that I needed someone else to do it. Yeah, no, of course. And like having to relinquish that mm-hmm. is really hard. It is really hard, especially when you're a perfectionist yeah. and especially when I can be so proud about mm-hmm. my music, about like the production. That was one good thing. Many good things came out of that album yeah. I just released. But another thing is that it's a bit more collaborative than my first one. My first album is me. Mm-hmm. I co-produced and wrote all the songs myself. Yeah. Um, but there are some co-writes on the second album and a few creative minds, a lot of creative minds mm. got together to create that body of work. And mm. it took a second for me to be okay with that. I was yeah. really, really like protective, really guarded, really proud of like, you know, my role and everything. Mm. But then I realized it's actually good to expand your horizons that way yeah. and like allow, you actually end up learning more oh, if you like allow yeah. people to come in and not change but just I don't know lend mm. the magic to things and yeah. create a bigger I don't know a bigger body of work yeah. that has more textures that mm. you might necessarily not have been able to think of and um but it is a struggle it is a struggle I'm just learning that I can have fun mm. with my music and that I can make whatever the fuck I want and yeah. I should be able to do that even if it's fun it doesn't always have to be like a serious body of work it doesn't always have to be mm. Even though I, you know, I want to be taken seriously. And, and you take it seriously. Yeah. But it can also be joyful. Exactly. And, and I want people to see my evolution. I want them to mm. be, to join me, like, on the journey and see every step. Like, see me releasing this dream pop music yeah. I'm making and see me, like, going back to my folk roots and see me trying things that I've never tried before. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I don't want to feel the need to pigeon my hole. Pigeon my hole. Pigeon oh, my Jesus. Hole. <laughs> That's the sound bite for this episode. <laughs> stop trying to make me pigeon my hole. I need to stop talking about pigeons. Um, <laughs> pigeonhole myself. Oh, God. <laughs> it might sound like a weirdo. <laughs> so, anyway. Rosie. Yes, Caitlin. Have you got your shit together? I'm going to say, I think maybe I do. Do currently. Uh-huh. I feel like yeah, I do. My peace lily's alive. Yeah. I like pigeons, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got my shit together. Yeah. That's good. And as long as you don't pigeon your hole, I feel like Don't pigeon your hole, please, guys. Don't do that. If we can take one thing from this episode is please do not pigeon your hole. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast this podcast is produced by ant hickman the artwork is produced by tim saunders and the photography is by patch bell a massive thank you to cassia for letting us use their song slow see you on the next episode of have you got your shit together now and then i'm just a little bit low i always try to lose my mind in a conversation with you 